0: that's safe and easy to use quality design state-of-the-art technology from noco your battery care source since 1914 get yours at geniuschargers.com hello automotive enthusiasts today i am so excited to introduce a very special guest and a good friend louis Shefschick. louis are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride
1: we are ready to go mark
0: all right great to have you here Louis Shevchik is the owner of JNL Fabricating in Puyallup, Washington. Since 1981, Louis and his talented team have been restoring and building vintage race cars, hot rods, Concours cars, and collector cars for automotive enthusiasts who demand the best in craftsmanship and expertise. Louis's passion goes way back to 1972 when he was just 15 years old and he filled a mechanics position on Salt Walter's IndyCar team. Today, j celebrates over 30 years of design, engineering, building, and fabricating parts for some of the most famous race cars ever built. They also offer trackside support and transportation to racing events around the country and the world, giving their customers an arrive-and-drive convenience, further enhancing the vintage racing experience. Louie, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. As you just take a little bit of time and share some more about your history, about your business, your interest, and of course your passion for race cars.
1: Sure, Mark. Well, I would say pretty, pretty well started with my with my dad back um, when I was really young. My dad uh, has a, uh, a background in open wheel racing, midget racing, sprint cars, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so as a young guy, I was always tagging along with him, and, and, and probably more so to put it is he took me along with him pretty much everywhere he went. Yeah. I can remember times when he'd go to different guys' shops and it was kind of like what'd you bring him for you know but dad always took me everywhere and uh you know always made sure that i uh, was a part of uh, of what he was doing yeah so that pretty well launched my you know launched my uh my interest in racing and that type of thing and so it was uh it was an interesting time
0: absolutely and then after years did you get involved in doing any of that actual racing or were you out there handing him wrenches or working on cars
1: I did I started out I uh, did uh, went through the go-kart thing ran uh, ran go-karts race go-karts for probably 3 or 4 years and then from there gradu- graduated into uh circle track into midgets yeah and uh I raced midgets for I guess it was probably near 4 years cool and um we uh, we we did really well but it was seemed like uh a uh, uh I felt like I was probably a little too impatient. I kind of forced a few things and and that 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 caused my dad some financial duress at times.
0: Uh, racing can be that way
1: <laughs> it definitely is, yeah, and so it was kind of at that point that I thought, you know what i'm uh you know i'm I love racing, and that's when I pretty much graduated into whether it would be the fabricating or mechanical end of things,
0: sure, well, when we met, and I think it was almost twenty years ago now when I moved up here to the Pacific Northwest. You had your own shop, but it was in a little facility and I think it was just maybe you and and a couple other people. Tell me about the moves you make to decide to start your own business and evolve it into what it is today
1: well um i had uh, I had worked for my daddy at an automotive shop and so i had uh, i had worked him worked with him and been around the automotive you know industry uh, pretty much all my life and so up to that point and so it was uh, um I don't really know what, you know, what, what spurred on the thing of, okay, Hey, why don't you open a shop? I guess it was just, you know, I just felt like that was the thing I wanted to do. And sure. so we just start we just started in a little, uh, you know, one and a half car garage in a, in a duplex that, uh, that we rented. And, uh, um, you know, and, and from there we went, uh, into our first, what I'll call first real building and that was 1700 square feet. And then that morphed into 3,500 square feet. And, uh, Presently, we're in 16,000 square feet.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing how those things happen. And I've been to your shop, and I think you're probably outgrowing the shop you're in now. You guys fabricate parts. You make parts. You take old race cars, and you make them new again so people can get into them. You could have gone down the path of being a simple mechanic, when I say that, just working on people's cars. But you chose to stay in racing. It was it your passion for for race cars? And, and why did you focus so much on vintage race cars?
1: Well, I think that it was a passion for racing, just period, and early on before we had started the shop, I had worked as uh, as a mechanic uh, in uh, for different organizations around the country, different types of racing. Most of my early background was all circle track-based, open wheel, and um, from from that point, I was uh, very fortunate enough to work for a couple of really good constructors, um, fabricators, and, and, and learned a lot in my fabricating and that type of thing. And so it was. Uh, it was just kind of a natural progression that took me, you know, with the racing background that I had working for other people, to put that into, uh, you know, into use for myself and uh, and continue with it from there.
0: Well, I can tell our listeners I've seen the kind of work that is done at JNL Fabricating, and they can make body pieces. They can make just about everything you need to put on your car. They build some cool hot rods. Of course, the race cars are my favorite. And the cars that go through j and Fabricating are just uh, pieces of history, if you will, and pieces of art. As we continue on your journey, Louis, I always like to start with a success quote. And this is a saying that has some meaning in your life. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Louis, take the wheel.
1: You know, as far as a quote that somebody has told me, I don't know if there is, is, is a quote like that. Um, but I'll use the one word passion. Ah, and yes. um I, I think passion is what drives me. Mm. It's uh it's 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 all I've ever wanted to do. It's all I ever can imagine doing. And um it, it's it's that passion. You know, everybody has a day that, you know, or two or more that you know it 's like oh it 's a grind it 's hard, but you know it's it's it 's all over uh, overrun by the passion that i 've got for racing um i can 't think of anything else i 'd rather do absolutely and so that passion has has kept the spark going going for me and kept me uh, very passionate about yeah. what i do and, and the people, so you know if uh, i i don 't know that it's a quote, but it 's definitely a word for me and, 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 and again that 's passion
0: absolutely well, it comes through. With all the work that you guys do there and certainly the business you've chosen, the profession, the vocation you've chosen is not an easy one in many, many ways because new challenges come up all the time, but that passion keeps you driving through. Could you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? Everybody has usually a pivotal moment in their life when they really know, you know what, I'm a car guy. (laughs) Can you remember when that happened with you?
1: Well, I think it would have been really, really early on, and it was uh, my dad had a small shop and, uh, we were, uh, we, we were working, he was working on his race car and a friend of mine and, and I were, uh, were just kind of hanging around and I would say we were probably more in the way and causing more trouble than we were doing any kind of good. <laughs> and my dad took a little bit of time out from his day and he built us this little go-kart out of a couple of old bed rails and a lawnmower engine. <laughs> cool. And he did, he, he literally did it in an afternoon and it was like, wow. You know what? That is pretty cool for something I can remember to the day. You know, like I'm standing there right now watching him put this together. Yeah, it was nothing fancy. It was nothing cool, anything like that. But it was just, you know, it was a piece of mechanical. And we rode that thing up and down the street until we ran the tires off of it.
0: (laughs) I believe it. I believe it. Well, I've met your dad Ed, and he's he's a guy that just has a sparkle in his eye and that little bit of that uh, that grin that he puts out there, and. uh, I'm trying to picture you as a little kid kind of getting in his way and in building, oh, that, building that thing so you can kind of get out of his way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> go, go have a little exactly. fun. That's great. Louie, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood and, as I say, get our hands a little dirty, certainly something you're not afraid of doing. Would you share with us a huge challenge or even a great failure that you've faced in your life or your career, but the most important part of this question has to do with Sharing how you overcame it and even more important, what did you learn from that situation?
1: Well, I think it was um I think it was early on in, in, in starting a business and not knowing anything about business. It was more probably that, you know, I, I didn't even look at it as starting a business. I looked at it I was just, you know, gonna continue doing what I like doing, what I enjoy doing, mm-hmm. what uh you know, what I grew up around and so um it was uh getting started, and um you know being small you didn't have um you didn't have a lot of things to be concerned about, most of it was it was getting the work done and getting the work out and um and you know collecting the money because you were no longer working for a uh you know for a for a weekly paycheck you know everything was driven by what you were able to produce, sure and from from that point things uh i would say probably the biggest struggle for me in those times were knowing when you could bring on somebody else you had so much work you couldn't get it done you were behind so you'd bring on somebody else and then then with that you bring on i've always looked at it as like i'm not just hiring an employee to have another employee i feel a responsibility i have to have you know now that person's livelihood is depending on what I can produce as well. Sure. And so, you know, you go from one to two, and, you know, next thing you're looking at, you know, down the road, you've got, you know, 15 people. (laughs) And then, yeah, and then it's uh, for somebody who is able, I was very blessed with being able to, to somebody show me how to do something, and I was able to, to learn what they were teaching, and then put that into you know and into everyday use in the things that I was doing as far as from a uh, from a mechanical or from a fabricating side of things, but then being able to teach that to somebody else—that was always probably my biggest struggle was being able to pass that part on to someone else.
0: Mm, yeah, it's a very common thing with entrepreneurs. We all want to do it all our own way, our own self, because we feel we can and delegating that work to someone else can be a real challenge and realizing that, you know what, maybe they don't do it exactly how I do it, but they get it done, they get it done well. And of course, you start to learn the real joy of hiring the right people who you can just say, <laughs> I need that done and you don't have to worry about them anymore. They just go do it.
1: <laughs> I had a guy once tell me that when, the, uh, when a good guy comes through the door and you know that he's got the credentials behind him, he's got the skill, he's got the dedication, in my case, he's got the passion for what you're doing, um, you don't let that guy go. Right. You may not have room for him, and if it's a fact of making room for him or stretching yourself so that you do have the room, um, you, you do that, because those kinds of people don't come along very often. <laughs> Absolutely. And, 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 and if you pass it up, you don't know when you'll get the next opportunity.
0: Yeah, great, great advice. Louis, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a story when you, you had one of those aha moments in your business—a time when you realized, you know what? I think this is a good idea. This is really going to make it. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success.
1: Well, I had a couple of very good friends, and it comes—I I can't tell you the day, but I can tell you the time in my life. A couple of very good friends presented me with a book. And gave me some direction on uh, on on growing a business to the next uh, to the next level and i 'm um, sure you're familiar with this mark because you were you were one of those people <laughs> well thank you <laughs> and and um and uh it 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 shared with me it shared with me how to go about thinking and laying out the plan for where you're going to go to the next point. Sure. And it was the type of thing as as, as I said earlier, you know, when to bring on the right people, when you know, when to add to, when to go. Well, we went from a 3500 square foot building into 16,000 square feet and I had uh, I had looked at this building and then decided, okay, I want to do this, but it was in my mind I was going to go from 3500 to 8,000. I was only going to take half this building. Yep. And another another good friend of mine said, I took him over, I showed it to him. He says, Louie, you'll make a mistake if you do that, mm-hmm. because here's what's going to happen. A year or two from now, you're going to be in the same position. The other half of the building's not going to be available, and you're going to need to move again, mm-hmm. and you're going to have to go through all that again. So that was a real step. It was a real... Okay, I'm going to do it, and within a year, it was like, ha, <laughs> yeah, or, or as you put it, aha, uh-huh. yeah. You know uh-huh. what? You know, I I I listened and they, I followed through with this thing, and it's uh, it's been a great thing, and that's been 12 years ago. Yeah, it's been a very short 12 years. People say, how long you been here? Oh, you know, it's it's oh five six years. You sit down, you do the math. And it's double that.
0: Yep. Yeah, time flies when you're having fun, as they say. Well, thank you. I'm so happy that uh, that book I handed you. you remember that book, what the name of that book was?
1: The uh, name of that book is The E-Myth. The E-Myth, yep, and, by Michael Gerber. Yep. yep.
0: Yeah, it's a great yep. book. I've read and, it many times. And I've, I've given copies of that book to many people because I think it's extremely helpful to realize, to look at your business in a completely different way and and create systems and procedures that will work. And basically, it's a delegation book. You set up a plan for how your business can run so when you're not even there.
1: Well, very much, and it breaks it down. For me, it broke it down into three pieces of your business, and that's the entrepreneurial side, which is the, you know, always going out, finding something new, doing those type of things, thing of being able to do the work itself, the manual work itself, and then the third one is being able to run that business. Yep. And, um, and that was something that I was always able to do, all of the work. Yeah. I was able to do anything that somebody brought through the door, but, Doing the other two things is, uh, uh, is is what you know brought it to me, yeah. and it was uh, it was it was a big time for me.
0: Awesome, good. Well, it makes me feel good that I was able to help. That's fantastic. How about proudest moments? I'm sure you've had many because you've been involved in so many different projects. You've delivered cars to people that made them smile like crazy, uh, taken people on great adventures, including me when I was vintage racing uh you made my days uh some of the events that we attended where cars broke and you you guys jumped in and got me back on the track is there a proudest moment that you can think of in your career that really shines
1: you know mark that one you had uh, you had give me a rough uh a rough idea of the things that you might be asking and that was probably one of the ones that that stumped me the most <laughs> so so it's going to be it's it's going to be a very broad answer it's okay and in the fact in it's in the fact that my proudest moment is when we've done our job Hmm. and whether that job and it doesn't make any difference if it's today tomorrow last week it's just the thing that makes me feel the best about what i've been able to accomplish uh, is being able to see our customers enjoy their cars sure and whether that's at the racetrack whether that's just sitting and looking at their cars whether that's we've had a, a rough day at the track, there's been a lot of issues to overcome. We've overcome them, and we've gone out, and the customer had a great run in his car. He, you know, whether it was won his race, had a personal best, whatever it was, that's uh, that's that's the thing that makes it all worth it for me. It's it's um, I always tell people you can do anything. That's what I like about America. You can do anything you want in this country to make money. Yep. Yeah. but passion's not driven by that. It's 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 <laughs> yes. that you know it's the fact that look at this. You know, these the, a lot of these people don't have very much time to give to their hobbies, and um and, and so it's a very short window of time. Um, it's a very expensive hobby, and so when you can when you can give them that afternoon or that ten laps or whatever, and they get out of their car and they're just standing there grinning from ear to ear. I don't even need a thank you for that. That's <laughs> that's more that that's more than enough for me.
0: Well, what I think is great about your answer is it's all about really serving others and providing uh, a service and care to others that makes you feel that's good. Right. So that's fantastic. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And, if, and maybe I'll expand this a little bit. If it wasn't a car that you owned, maybe your first really special car that you worked on in your shop for a customer. And maybe share a memory you had with that vehicle.
1: I would say it's going to go back to... um you know, it's, um, I, I would say probably the car that I had, you know, it, it's a very difficult question, Mark, because um, I just enjoy, I mean, there there is probably not very many cars or very many projects that have ever come through the shop that I don't get a lot of enjoyment out of, sure. and every one of them brings something different. I would say probably if I had to pick the, 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 the car that we were going to or the, that, that was probably the most challenging to me at the Time um, would probably have been a Ford GT Forty owned by Tom Armstrong. Mm, um, yeah, wonderful uh, car. We, we it very, and we had done a lot of work for Tom over the years, and Tom was really our uh, our key into the uh, into the vintage um, industry. He was our first customer for the vintage industry. He had a Ford GT Forty, and um, he had had a uh, had an accident with it, a mechanical failure early on, and that required uh, quite a bit of restoration to put the car back, and. and like with many of our customers, he uh, he he you know he was very particular on on what he wanted when it was done. <laughs> yeah, Tom is and, a picky uh, and, guy. <laughs> he likes and, the best. And it's and it and it makes it it makes it nice for us because we don't have to cut corners. Yeah. And uh, but that GT4, do you think back mid '60s, 1966. I, I don't think that there is you know I, I just the project was was a lot of fun. There was a lot of uh, a lot of ourselves that we put into it. Um, I think there was only three of us in the shop at the time, mm-hmm. so it was uh, it, it was a fun project. A
0: spectacular car! I've seen that car. I've seen it run. Seen it in your shop many times, and it is a beauty. So that's a yeah. great first special car. How about vehicles that you've let go or sold? Uh, this has to do with seller's remorse. But is there a vehicle that you've owned that you've let go that you really wish you could have back?
1: Uh, yeah, there's one. And, uh, <laughs> and someday I will probably, I, I may get the opportunity to get it back. I had a, a 1964 Webster sports racer. Oh, yes. And and I sold it, uh, actually I had it for probably 10 years, and it was one of those things, I'm going to buy it, I'm going to get it fixed up, I'm going to sell it. Well, I bought it and it sat and it sat and it sat and it sat. And about 10 years later, it was like, okay, we got to get this thing done. So I threw everything at it um, to get it done to have it ready for Monterey. Uh, at the time it was the Monterey Historics. Yeah. And uh, had entered it and, um, and I got the car all done. And then a really good customer of ours said, I'd like to buy the car. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'm not ready to sell, but you can drive it down there if you want. I don't care. Mm-hmm. And so he drove the car and he says down there, I got to buy this car. And so I relented and said, okay, I'll sell you the car. So sold him the car. And, and, and you know what I would say, that's been my first and my only vintage race car I've ever had. Oh, um, there you go. <laughs> well, and, and so anyway, so someday I may get the opportunity to get it back. Yeah. Um, but that car I miss, it's just, uh, it's a, it's a pretty cool little car. Luckily I get to see it often. Yeah. And, um, but, uh, it's, uh, that would be my car.
0: Well, that car is a one of a kind, right? Only one of those. It now? is. Yeah. It was
1: one. It was one. Um, a fellow named Marvin Webster from uh, the Bay Area. He had. Uh, he he was very uh, very famous for their uh, cars that they would run with SCCA up and down the coast. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, this was the first car that they built. They did build two other additional cars. They were different. Um, they had V8s in them. One of them was called the Maddage. And the other one was uh, called another, it was called the Webster Sports Racer, and it was built in the early days of Can Am. Mm. But Mars um, was uh, just a four cylinder. It's just a um, you know a two liter sports racer, early sports racer.
0: Sure, very cool. Well, again, that car yeah. too I've seen. It's beautiful. I love it. It's really yeah. spectacular. How about current projects? Is there something you guys are working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? I know they all do, but. Maybe something you're working on today.
1: (laughs) I know. You keep pinning me down to one particular one on on several of your questions. Of course. uh, um, You know, um, I I really like a lot of the stuff that we do, um, the fabricating end of it, the, uh, you know, what do you want to call it, the spine of the project. And we've got a DN5 um, Formula One car in here right now that had a, had a uh, had an off track experience. Actually, it was an on track experience um, <laughs> that became an October. off track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, and um, so uh, being able to fabricate it's a monocoque chassis, so there is no tubular frame per se. It's a, it's all aluminum riveted panels, mm-hmm. and um, and I, I really like those projects. I, I like I like being able to do those type of cars. Um, I think that um, there's not a lot of people out there that can do them well. And that's not to say that we're the best, but you know we do. We've had a lot of experience with them. Mm-hmm. I grew up um, around a lot of it and, and, and had learned quite a few things. Yeah, that's probably one. We've got a nine hundred eight Porsche Spider that we're doing right now. Um, nice. That uh, is a lot of fun, um, a lot of research, um, uh, a lot of care, and things are being put into that particular project to be original at a point in time. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that makes uh, that makes things. Difficult slash challenging. Sure. But um but very enjoyable as well.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I just interviewed last week a Vic Elfert speaking of Porsche nine oh eights. Oh there he, you go. Yeah, yeah, and some great stories there of his racing days oh, with sure. Porsche. Cool. Now here's a somewhat introspective question for you, Louie. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why?
1: Well this one probably will surprise you but uh, <laughs> if I was if I was going to be a car and in a point of history it would be in the mid 60s and it would be a championship dirt car an open wheel yeah. circle track dirt car Okay and um and, and if I was going to be somewhere it would be either at the Indianapolis State Fairgrounds or at the Sacramento State Fairgrounds <laughs> um they uh, they have they're both mild dirt tracks yeah. and um and i was very young at the time but i can remember my mom and dad going to sacramento every year to watch these and they bring back pictures i never got to go i was too young mm-hmm. um uh i've got quite a collection of of those car in models All in my office yeah, yeah. and um that is, uh, that's the early days of Mario Andretti, uh, AJ A- 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 Foyt, uh, um, Johnny Rutherford, Roger McCluskey, uh, Judd Larson, you know, several people that, you know, that had passed in racing,
0: yeah.
1: um, it- it- as well because of the, the, the danger that those cars possessed, but they were, um, that's, uh, it has nothing to do with road racing or any <laughs> of the probably mainstay of what I'm in, but that's, uh. Yeah. That's my roots. That's what I really enjoy, and that, that's, that's what I would be.
0: There you go. Well, that's why I like to ask that question. It, it brings out some surprises for uh, many times with my guests, so I love it. We're about to enter the last lap, but before we do, here's a word from our sponsor and Cars Yacht guest, Dwight Knowlton. Carpe VM seize the road. It's the motto at carpegear.com, where you'll find the little red racing car, an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an inspirational award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kid's car book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves the Little Red Racing Car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand where you can find his book, shirts, and more that embrace his seize the road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at CarpeGear.com and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's CarpeGear.com, C-A-R-P-E-Gear.com. All right, we're back, Louie, and this is the last lap. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? All set. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received?
1: Probably the best thing that I have uh, that I have ever received, and, and it was uh, um, early on in 1973. I was working back in Indianapolis, and the fellow I worked for, was uh he he told me he said if you're going to be in this realm uh, of racing he says safety first he told me his name was johnny cables
0: and uh, <laughs> johnny he, cables he, he, <laughs> johnny
1: cables yeah very cool name <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, he said safety first safety he said first. you're you 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 are responsible for these guys' lives and in the preparation of the cars and having them ready so he said always remember that you'll never go wrong
0: yeah well so true and it's so funny how those words have brought themselves forward to the profession you're in now because of the the work you're doing in preparing cars for people great advice would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success
1: uh that comes that that's an easy one that comes from my dad and that's my work ethic and, uh, and that failure is not an option. Um, (laughs) it just, uh, uh, it, it's early on. uh, my dad would see things through. Um, and, uh, and that was something that I always saw. And, uh, he made a comment to me one day, he said to me, he said, Louie, he said, I never, I bought a piece of property from him. And, um, and, and he said after that, after I paid him off, he says, I never, ever once worried that I wasn't going to get my monthly check. (laughs) And, um, And that was instilled in me from him, and that's just uh, my work ethic and just, uh, you know, seeing it through to the end.
0: Sure. Well, and I can attest to that because uh, we're doing this uh, interview at 6.30 in the morning, and I know Louie's probably been in the shop for a while, and he'll be in the shop late, and he's there on Saturdays and sometimes Sundays, and... At the track, so, yeah, it takes a lot of hard work. but
1: uh, It's all driven by passion, Mark. Yep,
0: there you go. (laughs) Do you have a resource that you would like to share with our listeners? And I understand there are lots of great resources out there, but maybe one that you think they would enjoy. Maybe it's a website they should visit or a blog or a supplier or even a person.
1: Yeah, um, I'm going to say Phil Riley.
0: Ah, yes, Um, (laughs) great guy.
1: Phil Riley from uh, from Madera, California. Yep. Phil has been a very longtime friend. We share the same passion of the open wheel and um, has run a very, very successful restoration business and uh, been able to call him any time that I ever needed to. Yep. So that would be my one person.
0: Oh, perfect. I've been trying to get him on the show, too. So maybe you can yeah. give him a call and say, hey, I did it. Now you're up. So
1: <laughs> I'll do it.
0: Okay, great. Okay, now we'll ask you about a book. Is there one book that you think our listeners should get their hands on?
1: Well, we've already passed through that one, yep. and that's uh, the e-myth. Yep. And uh, if uh, for anyone who has, uh, uh, you know, it really doesn't matter what what, what business that you want to go into, be it automotive, which is where I'm at, uh, or whatever, being able to understand all the different facets, that was a big, big help for me. It broke it down very simply, yep. and uh, I will say that people had given me books before, told me about books before, I, I, I'm a big one on timing, and... uh It was all in the timing. It was the time that that book was presented to me, the time in my life, the point in business where I was, and um, so that would be my book.
0: Awesome, yeah. Michael Gerber has since written a bunch of different books, uh, The E-Myth, some of them directed to specific businesses, but when I first read that book, it helped me a lot in the business I was in as well. So awesome book, great reference. All right, I'll remind our listeners that you can find links to all these great resources that Louie has shared with us at carsyad.com slash Louischik. And Louis's last name's a little unique. S-H-E-F-C-H-I-K. All right, Louis, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car in your shop and your garage, you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with, so that little trick's off the table. But money's no object and I'll buy you whatever you'd like today. Even if somebody doesn't want to sell it. <laughs> What would that vehicle be, and why?
1: That would have to be a uh, 1965 Watson Championship dirt car.
0: Ooh, okay, we're <laughs> back done to the it dirt.
1: before, yeah, we're back to the dirt. Yeah,
0: we're well, what is dirt. it about that particular car that just tugs on your heartstrings?
1: Um, well, I think AJ Watson was quite the uh, uh, was was quite a well known guy. He, uh, um, he, he he pioneered the roadster in uh, in the Indianapolis days. And the thing about those cars is that they ran those cars on dirt and pavement. Yep. They would run them at, at, at Indianapolis on, in May, and then in June, they would be running them at uh, Springfield or DeCoin or Indianapolis in, uh, in September on the dirt. Mm. They were offy-powered cars. Uh, they just uh, were really cool. It's just, uh, I think they have very nice lines. Um, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: It's just, uh, it's just uh, something I grew up around, and it's never left.
0: There you go. Something you could park in your living room. If That's if, it. if Jeanette would let you.
1: <laughs> she probably would. She probably would. Yeah, I know her. She I think probably she would. would. Yep. She loves yeah. to be
0: around the cars too. Awesome. Well, <laughs> great choice. Wonderful car. Louie, you've taken me on a great ride today, and I knew you would, and I've loved sharing your stories and your life with my listeners here at Cars Yeah. Would you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off around that dirt track in <laughs> that dirt track racer?
1: There we go. Um, a couple of things, Mark. If you're going to be in a customer-based business um, to where you're dealing with customers on a, on a personal level and a face-to-face is uh, there's a couple of things. I had one customer tell me one time, he said, Louie, he says, what we do is very expensive. And he says, sometimes it, uh, it may seem a little painful to write the check. But he says, when I look back over Last weekend, and, and this was at a particular event, when I look back over last weekend and what uh, what you guys were able to do and for me to be able to finish out my weekend, he says it makes it so much easier. Yeah. You know, at that point, he said, thank you very much. The other thing would be that um, I don't remember where I got this from, but uh, I do remember that uh, this fellow had told me, and he said, the customer may not always be right, but the customer is always the customer, and treat him with that respect. Yep, <laughs> and so it's uh, you know it's about education. We're always learning, sure. And so we we, we take it as that uh, we have to educate our customers about the things that we do and the things that we know as well.
0: Absolutely, great advice. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about JNL Fabricating?
1: Well they're welcome to uh, to call us at any time on the telephone or we've got a website mm-hmm. which is jnlfabricating.com. Yep. If they are a car enthusiast and they go to the vintage races, generally pretty easy to find us. Oh, we'll yeah. be there. I like very basic looking, uh, very simple looking equipment, so just look for the big white trailers with JNL Fabricating on them.
0: Yep. Yep, you guys are all over the place. Well, again, listeners, you can find links to everything Louis has shared with us today at CarsYad.com. Just put Louis in the search box and his show notes page, and links to everything will show up. Louis, thank you so much for taking the time out today and being so generous with your expertise and sharing your experiences with our listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you very much, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at CarsYad.